0: There we are. Hey, uh, we're alive. Uh, welcome to another segment of Buddycast. I'm here with my new friend Dave Blazik. For those of you who don't know, Dave is the creator of the comics. If you ever read, if you ever read the newspaper nowadays, Loose Parts. Yes, I still have this book, by the wow, way.
1: Wow, cool! Attack of the Churling Stomach.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yep.
1: We but Goody. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yep. For yes. those of you who live in, you have to get
1: this one now. This is the the latest. Oh, what's that one? Quirky rectangles
0: of mirth. Sweet.
1: Sweet. Available yeah. at the website near you.
0: Sweet. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, um, he's the creator of this comic strip. Um, you can find it in your Sunday paper, especially if you live in my hometown, Erie. I saw yours today. My hometown of Erie. of Erie? Oh, yeah. Yeah, your hometown too. Born and um, bred. I, yep. I, saw your, uh, con- I st- saw your strip today, the one about the cell phones on the wall.
1: Yes. It's uh, targeted for old people. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and it's always, it's always you, got, you got to hit the different targets you know
1: yeah it's funny you do because you forget where you work like what what audience you work for so it's this weird ongoing thing of being relevant and timely and um uh you know still paying a salute to your target audience of which i'm a firm member of the target audience but um i'm mm-hmm. much more decrepit than i appear of uh, Age and, and demeanor, but uh, yeah. So th- your concept, like I, I find, you know, like you draw an office space these days. You know, it's all cubicles. It's not desks, and so you know, I hate drawing cubicles. But you know, it took a long time. You you know, you have to draw, uh, you know, doctors the way doctors look now, not the way they look. It's, it's a, I don't know. It's a comedy thing. Sometimes you have to wrestle with what's current and what's the trope that's in people's mind because the joke plays off of. The images people have built built up over their years of experience. So the question is, do you draw the picture differently to be current and blow the joke, or do you, you know? So it's a it's an ongoing um, uh, struggle. <laughs> it's yeah. really uh, we get to get the cartoonists As all the time. Matter of fact, I was just talking. We had to do a little Zoom thing with um, uh, Dave Coverly and and Hillary Price and Nick Elf and Akis the other night, and we were just talking about that. Like, how do you how do you stay modern? How do you, um, uh, 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 like the question came up, if you drew a joke and you put someone in a wheelchair in it to show, you know, that there's people in wheelchairs in the world, which is the right thing to do, but do people concentrate and say, why did they put a wheelchair in there? And there's, is the joke in there? And then you've distracted it. It's like, it's like doing stand-up where you've made a gesture that's blown the punchline because they're looking at that rather than figuring out the, uh, the punchline. So did it make any sense? I don't make any sense. So
0: yeah, fine. (laughs) let me, let me ask you, how did you, how'd you get the idea of becoming a comic strip artist?
1: I didn't. I, um, I accidentally became one. Um, and I mean that in sincerity. Um, I never took art training in school. I uh, never did it in high school or college. Um, um, uh, I didn't doodle. I didn't do any of that stuff. Um, uh, okay. So here's the story. Um, okay. uh, I might as well get the whole thing out of the way. So, um, I grew up in Erie. I go to prep, I go Barron. I head off to Penn state to get a degree in journalism, which I do while I'm there. Um, I revive the magazine called the froth, which is like the onion or the national lampoon of Penn state. So I started early. That was my sort of real, Well, I actually had a humor column in the prep newspaper. And then I had this sort of magazine playground at Penn State that I uh, spent a lot of time doing. Uh, Got out, promptly got a job in a factory. Um, So I worked at Inland Container Corporation off of 12th Street, just under the bridge where my job was shoveling out the ink pits under printing presses. So just the perfect training for any cartoonist. That's the path you're gonna wanna follow. Um, I got laid off from that job. They have not called me back. Um, that was 40 years ago. Um, I begged and borrowed, begged my way into the newspaper in state college at Penn state, the center daily times by sending the, uh, general manager socks, um, and telling them these were going to replace the ones I will knock off. They didn't have a job for me. So they gave me a, I showed up and they gave me a job. My desk sat under the front counter. So that when the first thing you saw when you walked into the center early times is my forehead sitting under the counter. Um, I sold classified uh, ads to car- use car dealers. Um, and I was a horrible salesperson. So uh, the only way I could um, sell an ad was to make them really creative. So I started making these really creative ads. Like I sold a guy a blank page in the newspaper uh, because right at the bottom was a little thing saying for the best deals in town, hold this page up to the light. And on the other page, I f- had his logo flipped so that when you held the page up to the light, you saw it through. So I did all this, um, and I started making these ads, and um, I really liked that part of it, and I didn't like uh, the rest of it. Um, um, but I had a journalism degree, and I was working in newspapers. Even I thought I was making seven thousand dollars a year, I still felt good. But my wife, my fiance at the time, had moved back to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and then moved up to the Philly area. So I decided to try to get a job at the Philadelphia Inquirer, and I picked up the phone and we called, and there happened to be a job in their promotion department. Um, And uh, I again sent socks and various objects and pictures to the guy until he hired me. Um, So there I was in started at the in house ad agency at the Philadelphia Inquirer, and I didn't leave till 37 degrees years later. So uh, over the years, I became creative director of the of uh, what's called Media Lab, which is the in house Creative and marketing group at the Philadelphia Inquirer. So for a huge period of time, I had an entirely different career. So in my lifetime, I have written and directed over 500 radio commercials and maybe 125 TV commercials. Um, I was a graphic artist. um, And um, uh, just anything creative, uh, speeches for them, campaigns for advertisers all over the country – and so I really got into advertising. So there are still people to this day who don't know I'm a cartoonist, who only think I'm an advertising guy. So I picked up some Cleos and some Addies and awards doing that. Um, but I started doing stand-up in the nineties in Philadelphia. So, you know, cable was hitting on all those, the whole comedy thing started burgeoning and, um, and probably like you, I was in a club one night and the guy was really bad and I thought, geez, I can do better than this guy. So, um, um, I took a class. They have a thing here called mainline school courses. It's like night courses. And it was taught by a comedy, a comic who turned into a booker. And he was like, you're pretty good. You know, you want to do this. So I started playing, you know, restaurants and bars and the clubs in Philly. And I played the Kimmel, the, 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 um, the, the big um, uh, uh, center in town where the Philharmonic plays and um and and stuff, and a couple of comedy clubs in here. So I did it for like four or five years. Um, I gave it up because my kids were really young at the time, and going out on Friday and Saturday night was not a good way to be a father. Um, but so back to the back to how this happened. Um, so the editors at the newspaper said, Dave, you're a funny guy. Like all the radio commercials and TV commercials they did for were almost always funny. Um, and 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 you know you do this now. Would you want to take a look at the submissions from? for the comics pages. The syndicates would send them the submissions and they would pass them by me. And I kept saying, well, these aren't funny. Um, and I kept saying it so much, the one guy kind of said, OK, Mr. Smarty Pants, why don't you try it yourself? Um, and you know, but I didn't draw. I didn't know how to draw. Luckily, I had a partner in crime at the at the Enquirer a guy named John Gilpin, who was a really facile cartoonist and still is to this day. Um, uh, he's had stuff in playboy and, and Saturday evening post and all in the national magazines and stuff. So um, we gave it, a sh- it, 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 I like to tell you, we gave it a shot. He had to ask me about seven times the editor to do this until he finally called me on the phone and said, you know, he retired. He called me on the phone. And he says, I am looking for talent for one of the syndicates. I agreed to do that for them. Um, this is, you should really do this. So I wrote 30 cartoons one weekend, 30 jokes and my friend drew him up the next weekend, and before we knew it, a guy from Los Angeles flew to Philadelphia, took us to lunch, put a syndicated contract in front of us, and we signed us as syndicated cartoonists. Now, it doesn't normally happen that way. Uh, people generally try for 10 to 15 years. <laughs> they don't usually just send 30 cartoons. Now, I found out later, they knew we were newspaper guys. They knew we could make deadlines. They knew they could count on us. He vouched for us. so. So, Loose Parts was born for the first year under the hand was drawn by somebody else. About a month into that, um, I got contacted by Comedy Central, which was had a show called Dr. Katz, professional therapist, around the turn of the century, um, and they asked me to write jokes for that and and uh, their cartoons and their comic strips. So I did that. So I was working a full time job, raising two small kids, and writing. Oh, yeah, uh, 60 jokes um, uh, a a month, you know, one a day for two different comic strips um, for a year. And it was a lot of fun. And uh, then in one week, uh, South Park showed up and they canceled Dr. Katz to make room for South Park um, and killed the comic strip. And then my friend got sick. He got cancer and um, he's fine now. Matter of fact, he's the last guy I had dinner with before the pandemic hit. Um, uh, But... He said, I guess we're not gonna do the comic anymore. And I called the syndicate and said, hey, you mind if I draw it? Is well well as write it? And they asked, because they're smart professionals, do you know how to draw? <laughs> and I said, no, but I can learn. Uh, and there was a big pause on the other end of the line. And they said, sure, go ahead. And I hung up the phone and I turned to my wife and I said, my God, what have I done? <laughs> and so I had to sit down. Now I was a graphic artist; I knew how to get stuff into print and stuff. But it, the early days were hard because um, I had to write around my inability to draw. Um, so um, I mean, I could show you. We have we can shrink. I could show you the very first loose parts ever. It takes like three seconds to draw. So let's do it. Let's do a quick let's three do share. Oh there it is. You can do it now. Okay, can you see this? Okay, so the very first one I ever did was a straight line. And on top of that straight line was a really badly drawn salmon. I'm going to try to draw it as badly as I did then. A little salmon fin. I guess it was a shark fin or something there like that and a little stuff like this and um and then I think I had another line like behind him like this and then I had a sign right here that said boy everybody's really excited watching paint dry here this one (laughs) said um Down, and it was called. It was called "Salmon at the Mall" um, with a salmon going up the down <laughs> escalator. So this was the quality of early loose parts drawing that people. Uh, people got. Um, and uh, let me blow that away now because <laughs> um, it hurts to look at it. Um, so that's what I did so early on. but um, And it took a long time, like three hours a day um, that I didn't have late into the night, most nights to sit and draw stuff or rewrite around it till I got it. Um, but in a weird way, when I was writing them and someone else was drawing and they weren't um, is good. Um, I'm a long-time friend of Mark Tattuli, who does Leo and Heart of the City, and is one of the great working cartoonists over the last decades or so. Um, and we knew each other from the ad business in Philly, and he uh, he just said, now it's, you may think you suck, and you kind of do, <laughs> um, but at least your drawing now matches your humor, and the joke seems to work. It comes right out of your head onto the paper. So anyways, I did that, and I just I did it and it, and it, and it, you know, I kept at it. And that was 20 years ago. And now I've done 7,300 some in a row and they're a lot better now. <laughs> so they trust me, uh, people who look it up or Google loose parts cartoons, they don't look like that anymore. I, I actually know how to draw now, but it's like one of those things it's almost impossible not to get better at doing something. If you do it every day. And I did it every day. It was just a real labor in the, in the, in the early part. Um, but uh, later on, it, it, it just, it's nice now. I, the, one of the things that got me through is I didn't realize how fun it is to draw, like the actual experience of putting pen on paper and having music on and sitting in your studio is is is, 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 is really cool. So that's the story. That's how I accidentally became a cartoonist. Um, uh, but now, and it took me a long time I had this little wrinkle where people would ask me, what do you do? And I'd say, I draw cartoons. I didn't quite say I am a cartoonist. Um, uh, matter of fact, I got lucky last year and won the Rubin Award, which is the Oscar of cartooning for the best panel cartoon. And I used that occasion to stand on the stage in front of my fellow cartoonists and say, I finally now can say I am a cartoonist <laughs> after all the time. So it took a while for me to make the, the adjustment myself, but um, but here I am. So. <laughs>
0: now for for your comics where do you find the daily inspiration like where do you what's um, like I,
1: I don't write them every day I write <laughs> in bunches at the beginning of most weeks um, I'm a really good I started out as a writer and um, so that part comes pretty easy um, I generally sit down Um, it takes me in about an hour and a half or so I can write a dozen jokes of which I'll draw probably seven or eight of those. Um, so the, the writing comes pretty easy and it it hasn't really drawn up. And there's a great quote that I like to share, especially when I talk to like schools and the art kids are all in the front and they're all got funny color hair and wearing black and they want to hear that, you know, it's magic, but the, the great quote is by the artist Chuck Close, um. And he said, inspiration is for amateurs. Um, professionals just go and work every day. And from the work, ideas come. So if if you think you're just going to sit around and I can't do this or I can't create, whatever it is, I can't paint, I can't write a piece of music, I can't start my novel, I can't write a set for a com- you know comedy routine, um, I beg to differ. You just have to... Um, go get it. Um, uh, now, it's not to say the jokes don't come to me. I literally had one come to me in a dream like a week or two ago, fully formed, wasn't gibberish, great joke. That's rare. But um, generally, you've got to go get them. And and the writing process is staring. It's staring at a wall or a ceiling. Um, I hate to not, you know, it, it's, it's, it's hard. And staring is painful. And I used to hesitate to tell people, that that's what I would do, smashing stuff together, thinking they would go out and do it. Uh, Just try it. I recommend everybody just try staring at a blank wall and think for five minutes, it's a really long time. Thinking for 15 or 20 or until you come up with an idea that may or may not go, it's a painful process so you get used to it. So I'm pretty certain most people will give up and I'm pretty safe.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All righty. Now you touched on this a little bit and I'm not sure if you, have one necessarily, but can you explain, like, do you have a certain style of art or is it just like you're? Yeah. Um, <laughs> nobody has eyes because I don't know how to draw eyes. Um,
1: although it's worked really great because I do like the blank. Ex- I got, I really got a letter from a fan one time years ago. That, Dave, I love how you've made the decision to give everybody these blank glasses. So the reader then reinterprets the, re- no, I don't know how to draw eyes. I just, uh, and it's, and it's become a, a, a thing for me. And I find that, There are ways with the glasses that I can, I can, um, I can, uh, and I can show you. Let's share the screen. Can share the screen one more time, and I'll show you what I mean. Um, Even though I don't draw eyes, and maybe make the brush a little bigger so people could probably see on this. So if I draw a guy like this, and if I want him to look really stupid, I'll give him smaller glasses, round them out, and. Make them farther apart. Now, and he has kind of this dumb witted "I just you know don't know what's going on" expression. But then, with um, with just if you change the the, the, uh, the shape of the glasses to like these little elongated ovals. Now the same guy kind of has a more serious kind of look to him um, uh, on it, and and you know, and then if you want to make him the boss, you know, instead of the the schmuck who who shows up, you can give him big square. So it's funny how basic shapes uh, can just change the demeanor of a character. So after a while, I learned how to um, how to just. Use glasses to uh, to make that stuff happen, rather than do eyes. Uh, so I do them occasionally, but very rarely. Um, even my cavemen and stuff just have a line for them, uh, it's, it, and it works as a nice style. I, I, I like that. I, I, I like. I don't have too much action in my things. It's. It, I like to think I'm very literate uh, uh, in what I do, but I do like the the reaction. I've always been a um, a proponent that the idea is comedy is in the reaction shot not in the joke telling shot, um, uh, and often it's, it's the person listening to the stupid person that really sells the joke rather than um, uh, a, a real active kind of crazy thing. And I, I'm also a proponent of letting the reader finish the joke in his or her head rather than me telling it, like a really bad comic or a really bad joke teller at a party you know, two guys walk in a bar, you know, two guys, one was a a rabbi, one was a priest, a rabbi, and they they over tell it. So if you tell just enough to get the joke without over explaining it, it involves the reader and I've done my job uh, and makes them feel part of it and makes them feel smarter. And they are. And, and, And so all of this, my style and everything kind of came together in that sort of thing so but it took me a really long time for for the first five years or so almost any of my jokes you could probably take i've taken them stood up on stage and told them as a stand-up joke and they may have worked and the picture was just there but as i got better and learned to draw um i now can have the picture carry the joke as much as the weight of the words or the idea if that makes sense so um so yeah so that's that's my style and 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 um um, I, you know, you crib a little bit from here and you crib a little bit from there. And, um, um, but all cartoonists kind of do that a little, um, and, uh, and it's turned out nice and I'm happy with that. It seems to be recognizable. So yeah. them happy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now you mentioned earlier, like you draw the punchline. Do you think of the punchline first? Did you kind of like get an image in your head before you do it? And here's, I'll show you. It's right here. It doesn't leave my side too much. So all my jokes start
1: out as words. A very few sketches. I don't have a sketchbook like a lot of cartoonists doodle sketches, and um, I mean it's really fascinating talking to different cartoonists and seeing how they work. Um, There was a guy named Jerry Van. There is a guy Jerry Van Amorogen who did a thing called Ballard Street. He just retired after thirty years, but he gave a seminar one time at one of our conventions, and he just had an overhead thing, and all he did was start moving his pencil, just we're looking at it on the overhead and it swirls and just lines and just almost looks like he's trying. Then he's like, I kind of see a guy dancing the tango and he's kind of coming out of a room and, and the joke just like grew out of the page. So he came out it from just drawing it. I, I sit down and I, 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 I look for premises first. I try to find a really juicy premise. So I generally think, you know, I'll want to do, I don't know, Uh, Like I'll I want to do one about airplane like 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 um, uh, you know an airline and it's okay then I'll just picture the front of an airplane like the pilot sitting in there, and then you start thinking what what if it's not what if it's a pilot what if it's animals what if it's flying the plane what if it's a pilot and a vulture flying the plane, and then then the rest of it kind of then you're like there's an instinct that says there's something funny there Mm -hmm. and eventually it comes around I finish the joke where the co-pilot is the pilot is a vulture the co-pilot is on the mic and he's calling down to the tower and he says listen unless you kill something down there we're just going to keep circling for hours so um so sometimes you start with a juicy premise and then you and, and the joke almost
0: writes itself um you know when you're done yeah so that's i actually thought of a joke in between that like as i, as I was just planning it what if the pig was the pilot and something about like, well, pigs really do fly or something like that. Yeah. Or- yeah. I mean, yeah. I,
1: and and the trick is though, to not always take the low hanging fruit. So the idea of the pigs fly is, uh, but it probably would have been rejected. My brain would said, yeah, it's not quite good enough yet. You know, it's always like making a joke one step better. Um, you know, uh, early amateurs. Oh, that's good. Like, okay. Puns. Puns. Okay. Sometimes. Okay. But, but, uh, try to go a f- little further and and see if you can and, and, and you know the, the real pros spend a little that's that extra fifteen or twenty minutes I'm talking about uh, you know when you're sitting in the chair of, of being a pro is forcing yourself to go a little farther to have that joke
0: come out. Yeah. Absolutely, it's like comedy where you know you may have a one liner, but it's how you can make that one liner into a story. Exactly, it, it, it,
1: you know exactly, and and how. Um, and how changing a word or two can just change it. I'm always in a constant struggle of how much, if I make mistakes, it's when the thing is too wordy, but I get into this thing where lots of smart people read newspapers and read comics, and, and I want them to be able to figure it out, but I also have to allow that some people aren't just gonna get it, and they're gonna stop rereading me if they don't get it. So I'm. Do I add the extra phrase? And I'm trying to think off top of my head of an example, and I, I really can't. Um, uh, but th- it's also a real struggle for me. How little do I say? And sometimes I even look at it. It's like I could leave this caption off altogether and let them figure it out. Um, like here's a good here's a good idea. I, I had one time a cartoon where um, it's just a salesman knocking on the door of a company, and the company is. The knock knock joke company, and he's knocked on the door and he says, I hate this part, because <laughs> you know, <laughs> figured it out. But I got people who wrote to me saying, and and they'll say, <laughs> you know, who's there? And then you say, and they and, and so, but so do I stop him saying just I hate this part? Do I not say anything? just have the salesman knocking on the door and let people, or do I go all the way and say, I hate this part, they're going to say who's there. So I yeah. stopped in the middle, I split the difference on those two. So that's an idea where uh, uh, the, more, the more sophisticated is not to say anything and let the joke stand, which is really cool, which I would love to do, go in the middle so there's a little explanation or drop it off you know, or really go overboard uh, and blow the joke, um, or blow some style points on the joke, so. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Now, when you submit to local newspapers and whatnot, what's the submission process like? Well,
1: I I, I don't. I'm um, I'm now with the Washington Post Syndicate, um, Washington Post Writers Group. So, they um, uh, they have a group of salespeople and and editors who constantly go around the country and overseas and berate newspapers to carry me. It's a tough hoe because newspapers are are as you know suffering. Um, Uh, on the downswing i i'm still a huge proponent of newspapers um as you might imagine for a guy who spent 35 year career trying to convince people to buy them i I really believe in newspapers i got a journalism degree because i wanted to be woodward and bernstein um i wanted to start out to be a reporter and i to this day um i think people are going to regret not supporting the newspaper because when they go away no one else will do that anyways uh, I'm getting off of my I get off of my preaching now but yeah, so they they send them around so I have a lovely editor there uh, uh, Amy Lago and when I signed, this is actually a pretty interesting thing, so I started at the LA Times syndicate, there was upheaval in the in the newspaper industry the Tribune company bought them so I was with the Tribune media company in Chicago for a long time um, and I, I wasn't happy just for a variety of reasons with there and you may have heard me reference the Rubin Awards, and I don't know if people know this, the National Cartoonist Society, which is the largest, most august group of cartoonists there are. Um, and, and it covers not just newspaper cartoonists, but the Disney animators and video game people and New Yorker cartoonists and all sorts of illustrators and graphic novelists. And every year um, they put us in a hotel in a city somewhere and pour alcohol in through the windows and uh it's it's marvelous and i'm we're all weeping because last weekend we would have all been in kansas city for it Uh, but anyways a couple years ago we were in san diego and it was late like one in the morning and we had just figured finished cartoonist karaoke and we were all had more than a few beers and this woman walks up to me and says you know, Hi, Dave, I'm a fan. I said, well, yeah. yeah. She goes, oh, so how is it there at the, at the Tribune? I said, I'm not so happy. She she just took a beat and said, why don't you join us at the Washington Post? And I think, Okay. So my agent was there, lawyer was there, she was there. We hammered out the basic part of the deal. And not knowing this until another cartoonist said, you know, that's Amy Lago. And I said, yeah, yeah, she's nice. She goes, that was Charles Schultz's editor so oh so now my editor is charles schultz's old editor which is uh tough to argue with someone who has that kind of track record
0: <laughs> so is that the on the resume
1: yeah yeah that's a that's a that's a and she earned every bit of it she's a tremendous editor and she saves me from myself all the time um and uh and i just there's something nice when you're when you grow up um uh, in Erie and you're, you're at Barron and you want to get a journalism degree and you, you can kind of only dream in the distant future of working for the Washington post. And now to end up kind of working for the Washington post, like, even if it is in the comics pages is, uh, is pretty damn cool, man. That's like, mm-hmm. it's pretty damn cool. So, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: yeah. You mentioned Charles short or Charles Shorts. Um Are there any of those people like Charles or Jim Davis from Garfield or any of them, yeah. you know, like, I should say the icons have come, you know,
1: uh, well, it's unfortunate. The, the icons are passing away. Uh, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I just meeting, missed meeting Charles Schultz or Sparky mm-hmm. is all the thing. I joined the national Cartoon society in 2001 and he had died just months earlier. Um, mm-hmm. I know his wife a little bit. Who's great. Um, I did not meet him, but plenty of the other guys, Mort Walker, Al um, Jaffe, certainly all the Mad Magazine guys over the years, Jim Davis, uh, the New Yorker giants, Blackman, um, uh, uh, Charles Booth, um, all these guys. Um, uh, and it's it's just it's sad that, that generation is passing, um, uh, but it's a joy just to go to these conventions and absorb all this stuff. And one of the benefits of me becoming a cartoonist in midlife, um, at age 43, um, was that I didn't, I was never burned out on it, having done it from a kid. So I'm, I'm like a fanboy, you know, hey, wow, look, it's more, I and mean, I carry a sketchbook with, will you draw a picture for me? And so, uh, in a way, it's, it's, um, it, it's a very, um, it, it's, uh, I'm still excited about the whole deal. You know, it's nice, it was a nice midlife change, and it's a great thing to do Um, You know, when I finally decided to retire from my newspaper job, uh, this is something I can do for as long as they have me Um, and uh, not without having to take a train into the city every day and come home and work late at night and weekends and stuff like that. So it's been a real blessing. And the community of cartoonists is generous and funny as you may as you will think they are and just hanging out and talking with them. Uh, has been a blessing. Um, it's really, it's really nifty. It's funny, I was talking to my wife about this, who's in the pharmaceutical business uh, just today. That she, I've been having weekly Zoom calls and we're trying to stay connected. It's funny that other professions don't seem to do that, and I don't know why that is. Like, there seems to be a community here musicians have a community, or comedians have a community, or cartoonists have a community. But do accountants have that? Like I don't know why an accountant wouldn't have it. It's a talent. It's the same. It's just a different skill, but it's a skill. But yet they don't seem to have this same sort of convivial beer drinking. <laughs> uh, somebody says the Reuben weekend is. Uh, uh, it's not cartoonists with a drinking problem. It's drinkers with a cartooning problem. <laughs> um, uh, so it's 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 a it's a weird thing. There must be something about the arts that we have to follow a path to to business that is different than normal past or normal careers that we need to support each other? I don't, I don't know the answer. It's just an interesting question.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, if there was someone out there who was thinking of becoming a cartoon artist or, you know, something like that, what advice would you give them today?
1: Well, um, number one, know what you're getting into. It's 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 the, just the business side of it. It's changed immensely. Um, it's harder and harder to find places to, um, to uh, sell your work and to make a career out of it. You, you know, I always used it. Thank God I had another career and another job, because I'm not sure I would have made it financially uh, for a long time uh, having to do it the other way. Um, and that being said, some of the very best cartoonists working today are have a nice middle class lifestyle but they're not immensely rich. So you, you, you're you going to do it because you love it, and you are got to do it because you do it every day, not because you think you're going to do it for the adulation and the stardom. That being said, one of the things I always like to point out uh, when I um, come back to Erie or I go to other places is that somehow, and I was as guilty of this as anybody, you grow up in places in America and other places and you somehow fool yourself into thinking that only people from New York and Los Angeles are talented like somehow I can't be a nationally syndicated I can't have a national com- you know profile as a comedian because I didn't grow up in New York and Los Angeles or something now you may eventually have to go there but talent doesn't know where you were born talent just knows talent so if you've got it You've got to work at it to make it come out. So, so it's going to be hard. But if you want to do it, do it. Now, there's all sorts of cartooning. There are, you know, strip cartoonists who tell stories. There are graphic novelists. There are, you know, animators. Um, there are commercial illustrators. Um, but one of the biggest mistakes I see is everybody thinks I only have to learn how to draw. Again, I've given talks where you see art kids at school, the middle school, and they're all cool, and I don't do math, man, because you know, I'm an artist. Um, but you can't. You've gotta you, all that learning is like, like you know, if you're playing football, you, you never stop in the middle of a football game and do a push-up, but the push-ups and the weightlifting is what gives you the strength to do the thing through. So if you don't you're not well read on a wide variety of subjects. Um, you don't have any fodder to pick from. You don't know, you know, you don't have anywhere to find a joke. Um, uh, or if you're just not well, you know, paying attention to human experience or reading novels, you don't have a, a, a feel for the human experience, so you can't tell a good stand up story. Um, so you've got to concentrate on all that other stuff too, even though it seems like not the stuff you really want to do. Um, and, and then I also say don't overlook. Like, listen, I wasn't classically trained as a as a cartoonist, but I was training without knowing it. I worked at a newspaper. There is no place that has faster deadlines than a newspaper. There's There are very few jobs. Like I was making radio commercials. The fastest radio commercial I ever did was a funny radio commercial with three actors that I learned how to do at 10 in the morning. I wrote it, cast it, recorded it, edited it, and had it at the, news, at the radio station three hours later. So you learn how to be creative quickly by exposing yourself to jobs that are demanding deadline stuff, the more time you take a creative job in anything. It may not be a cartooning job, but if you're working at an ad agency or you're working in a communications department at a company, you're, you're learning not to be scared of blank sheets of paper. Like lots of people are frightened by sitting down on blank sheets of paper. That doesn't frighten me anymore. So, and then like by shooting, directing TV commercials, I learned how to block out scenes. So I was looking at a square I had 30 seconds to tell something, and I had to have people looking the right way. And uh, and it's same thing with doing a 30-second radio commercial. You've got to be funny, but you've got to make it, have a message, and you've got to do it quickly, and you got to do it on deadline. So there are ways of looking at the other things you're doing in your life that will train you to do this um, if you're only open to that. So, but it, nothing. Nothing replaces just drawing every day and and writing every day. Uh, you know, like you said, like I was listening to one of your your other friends, a comedian, about how often he writes every day. You know, it's an everyday thing. You 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 know, I don't how often you write, Nick. I mean, at least you got to do it once a week, right? Oh
0: yeah, yeah. and like it, it always comes to it always comes to paying attention to the day. Like uh, a good buddy of mine once told me that a good idea for writing is to wake up every morning. Just take your notebook and just write. It doesn't have to be comedic. It yeah. Yeah. What yeah. you dream to what's on your mind right now. Because that gets the clogs moving. Yeah. To the day. So. And
1: for, and for me, it other like, look at watching stand up gives me cartoon ideas. And it's really weird in that it often has nothing to do with what the person he or she is talking about. Like, it's something that. In immersing yourself in creative stuff just tune it's like tuning tunes your brain to the right frequency in the create of the creative ether that stuff will just show up to you so exposing yourself to other creative people and creative stuff or you know i grab a volume of new yorker magazine you know cartoons or i'll look at a far side cartoons you know which is mine which is mine is I I get that most often you're the far side, you know, you stole that from the far side, you know, hasn't hasn't been around in 20 some years, although he's making a bit of a comeback now. And man, that's a compliment to me. Um, He was one of the greats, he made, he blazed this trail for me. Um, So uh, yeah, exposing yourself to all that stuff, the trick is just doing it. And like I said, talent doesn't know where you live, doesn't know what kind of room you're writing in or where you are, it just knows whether it's good or bad. And, and, and so I encourage everybody to, 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 to give it a shot. Um, uh, cause other people aren't, you know, and a lot of it is, I don't know, it's like you, maybe, maybe when you started doing standup, that was that you watch people and you're like, I could be better. I'm, I got myself in trouble a lot by saying that I could do better than that, you know? Um, and, but she's doing it. You're not, you know, he's doing it. You're not. Um, uh, so get in the game and and but as you know, stand up was a sort of an entirely different animal. There, there's a lot yeah. of things that look easy about it that aren't. Um, um, and 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 if anything, uh, the thing I hate most about cartooning and it's gotten better now. But in the early days, you know, the internet was growing and stuff. I, you know, you, your feedback was on a delay. Like I put a cartoon, people email me or they'll respond on Facebook or on Instagram or, or through the syndicate websites or something. Yeah, it's great, but it's not like telling a joke and having them laugh or not laugh right there. Uh, so that immediate feedback from standup was, uh, is, is a really painful <laughs> or, or fun thing um, uh, that can gauge. Um, like and one of my favorite theories was the reason I thought cartoons sucked so much was because I'm not sure the creators knew if they were doing good or bad because people had to write a letter and stick it in the mail <laughs> and, and only the people who liked you would go through all that trouble. So, in a way, now somebody on Twitter who thinks you suck can tell you you suck right away and there's a little value in that because, you know, maybe I, think- I do suck that day, you know, um, um, but the trick is I'll I'll do one tomorrow. And you'll be sitting at home in your underwear. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating process. Um, I still love to go back and do stand-up. Um, I've always told myself to do it, to go back and try it again someday, see if my, the rust is falling off. I was okay. I, I, I think I would classify myself as okay. I think I had a 25-minute set when I, when I stopped. And I never got higher than the possible the middle act of a three-night or four-act, you know. And, and that was only because somebody didn't show. <laughs> so I have played in front of a, a room of four people. And I did play in a room of 40 people who didn't speak English. Those are both fun stand-up nights. Tell me about it. <laughs> I also played well, – and, and the other one was um, – there was a famous rock club in um, near Philly called Ardmore 23 East. And they got the idea that they would have stand up comedy on, uh, on like a Tuesday night. And uh, so somehow I got roped in and they plugged the mic into like a 10 foot stack of speakers for the heavy metal band band. <laughs> At the same volume. So when you told your joke, it was at the level of Metallica, telling playing playing a guitar chord. Um, and so the four people in the audience literally pushed their tables to the back of the room, and um, and the comic in front of me got so uh, uh, so frustrated. He jumped off the stage, went over and sat at their table and did his did his bit his, his act at their table. <laughs> So, so yeah, I've had all of the bad parts
0: of stand-up comedy with none of the good parts. <laughs> Trust me, I know exactly where you're coming from. I've been in, a, I've been, I've performed in rooms like juniors. You've ever been in juniors before? Uh, no. Yeah. Whenever you come back, you got it. Once this, once all this stuff clears up, you know. Yeah. You know, like because it's our local comedy club. But I performed in front of a room that you know you'd expect for them, and I've also performed in front of a room that. I had a total of eight people in there counting myself and five of us were performers that night, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. But
1: then again, there are other nights where you say hello and everybody laughed like you didn't know why you never wanted to leave the stage and they're flashing flashlights at you to get off and you're still kind of <laughs> hogging the stage until, you know, until you got it milked every last laugh. So you're making me homesick for this now. But when I was in Erie, there were no comedy clubs. There wasn't a single comedy club when I left here, so I didn't mm-hmm. have that that opportunity or that chance. I'm glad to hear there are some now. There was the occasional bar that would do it, yep. but there was, there was nothing at that time.
0: Yeah. So right now what we have is Juniors, Last Laugh. That's like that's like the Washington Post of newspapers for us right now. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So we have Juniors, and then um, – so that's like the big shot. If you make it here – if you make it there in town, then you have that level of confidence. Yeah. Um, juniors brings in not people like Jerry Seinfeld or anything like yeah. that. Well, mm-hmm. they're not too bad, really good working comedians. There's exactly, exactly. They're bringing, the that, they're bringing in the people that will definitely make you laugh no matter what.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So, but then we have we've had a few open mics here and there. Yeah, there's like a there seems to be like a click in here. area of the same, like everyone knows everyone who does stand up, and if not, it's because that person is trying it out for the first time, and right. you're going to see them at least five more times. But
1: Yeah. Oh, that's cool, man. I'm glad to hear that there's there, there's a thing there. Hey, maybe if I do it, I'll come back and, and sign up for an open mic, and they will wonder yeah, who this clown yeah. is. <laughs> Absolutely. me yeah. will be right next to each other. We'll see I'll you right call now. you. You'll be my contact. You'll be my thing. And it says, Nick sent me. Mm-hmm. Told, me this and told me it would be okay. Mm-hmm. And I'll jokes about phonograph players and all the stuff that old people would know. I'd have okay. to contemporize my
0: act. I'd like to thank Nick Swanson for inviting me. Yes, so blame it Did on it him. Yeah. Yeah. Me going under the table. <laughs>
1: yeah, blame it on Nick when this goes south. It was all his problem. Yep. We're bringing an old guy out. It's like it's like bringing an Ellen King back in from the old days. Like I'll come in a tuxedo with a glass of scotch in one hand. Like do the real old. Borscht Belt, Ed Sullivan's level of comedy, which is great. Man. Mm-hmm. Just really fan of those guys. You know, I'm, 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 you talk about influences. A lot of my stuff is, you know, um, uh, you know, I grew up in the, you know, uh, the Robert Klein was a particular favorite of, you know, those guys. Of course, Carlin and Klein and stuff. But um, Mitch Hedberg was. Um, a huge Mitch Hedberg fan, and you know, even more recently, Dimitri Martin and those kind of guys. That non-linear. Almost sightish, kind of like humor on stage. That, that high-end, intelligent stuff. Um, I was a huge Dennis Miller fan before he went to the dark side. Somehow, uh, but man, his his early stand-up. I think I, that's the hard, maybe the hardest I've ever laughed at a stand-up show. Just because it was language-heavy and really fast, and and with with all these oblique references that hit you. The, the structure of the joke was there, but he'd hit you with all these these cultural. So you could you could laugh at any one of number of spots in his stuff. Um, Hedberg was just great. It's just sad we lost him. Robert Klein is kind of the same way. Very literate uh, uh, writing, but the, the old guy. You watch the guys. You know, I don't. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying Ellen King and and mm-hmm. those early early um, tuxedo wearing Ed Sullivan show kind of guys. Um, you know, they worked. So many nights um, and, um, but I was lucky enough to see you know Jay Leno when he was very early on. I remember seeing Ray Romano in the back room of a restaurant in Lancaster, Pennsylvania when he was like 21 years old starting out. Um, uh, I, we were able to see Seinfeld here before anybody knew that he was anything but a stand-up uh, uh, comic. but uh, I remember one night Leno played, I think three nights here in Philly. And we went and saw him every night. And that's where you really got to see how good he was. Uh, for one thing, a lot of the jokes you thought he was just telling, he told them exactly the same with the same amount of freshness to it. But other nights, he, he, he was able to read the, the uh, crowd. I've always told people that they'd say, oh, you were a comedian. I says, no, I was a comic. Comedian, comics get up there and they tell jokes. And some of them are good, but comedians read the whole room and the people, and they're so good, and they've got so much stuff. They know what to do, and I was never—I did not get to that one. I was still a padawan apprentice. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. still, and you only do that by, I guess, working all the time.
0: Yeah, it's just what you said with art—you know, you just got to keep going at it, going yeah. at it, going at it until.
1: Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. um, and you know, people will let you know. I mean. People do let oh, you yeah. know you, you, you know you you, you, you get lot you've got to forgive yourself and suck a little bit but if you suck for a really long time um, you know then it's maybe time to to, to change you know I've I, I like playing music and guitars and pianos and I dream that I could get up on stage and sing but you know I've committed myself that I just don't I don't have that performance level, Billy. So I just play, you know, with guys and friends, and uh, and we jam together. But you you have to admit to yourself at a certain point that what you can and can't do. But
0: exactly, yeah, exactly. Hey, I'm gonna wrap it up here with this one, brother. Where can someone find all your comic strips? Like, well, you can always, um,
1: do, well, in Erie, I'm in the paper every day, so get a paper in Erie. Um, Loose Parts is there every day. Um, also, you can see it online every day at a site called Go Comics. G O C A L S. G O C O M I C S, and uh, carries most all the comics. But you'll see it every day, and there's an archive underneath it, so you can underneath every panel, so you can go back 20 years and look at all 20 years of, of, of my stuff there. Um, you can go to my site, loosepartscomic.com, um, and uh, I'm updating it, but I have stuff there. And that's where you can buy my books. If you if you buy my books on Amazon, I can't sign them. Amazon's very weird. But if you buy a book from uh, me through my site, I always draw on it, and I always sign it. And so you'll have something uh, really cool. Um, yeah. Yep. Did I do it? Yep. So there you yep. go. Um, do a little selfie in there, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, uh, uh, and 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 every and so and you can always email me at looseparts at Verizon.net and and the web address and the email address is in the bottom of every cartoon. So if you forget what they are, you just or just Google Loose Parts comics and you'll see a bunch of them. And my contact information is in there. Um, and let me know. People have I ask people to write me. I answer almost everybody who sends me a letter if I can, um, because you know, it's fun
0: talking to people, and I like doing this. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, this was Dave Blazik, creator of Loose Parts Comics Thank you for joining us. I certainly learned a lot. Yeah, Great. Thanks for coming on. I hope I hope this keeps growing. And when you know when this,
1: I hope you'll have me back when you're big. Remember the little people. Remember exactly. the little people who did it the first week, Nick. Exactly. Yes, and yeah. I particularly like this this angle. I feel like I'm sitting on your hassock, like we're in your living room, and I'm kind of looking back, sort of up your nose, like like if you had a cat, you'd be the view we would see if
0: we were Nick's cat. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a nice setup. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I'm sitting in a. I just got this recliner this year, so yeah. I, I, I yeah. you're you may be the
1: only talk show host there is who sits in a recliner while well, the whole thing. So when you get the tonight, the late show gig, this thing's coming with me. You you'll you have the whole desk in the fancy Hollywood thing, but you'll still have the, the recliner and starlets will be backing up when you put the seat out, the leg
0: thing up. Yeah. It'll be your signature. It'll be your logo. Exactly. If you yeah. ever went to Jamestown, New York, they just oh. added a new, they added that oh. new New- I know
1: I was going to go when I came up to Erie this month, I was going to go, but I, you know, I can't go anywhere. I'm
0: stuck here on the you edge of Valley Forge out. National Park here in my treehouse studio.
1: Yeah. You let
0: me know. Cause I've got a membership. So if you ever want to hit it. Oh up.
1: man, that'd be great. I, we can yeah. meet I'll let you know. We'll meet there and well, you can, you can show me the thing, but, uh, yeah. but the, absolutely- good, the best thing about the pandemic is it changes nothing for cartoonists. Now everybody is now everybody is like a cartoonist dressing badly Sitting in sitting in one room all day drinking. You can go work in your underwear, and no one would judge you. Yes, underwear. How fancy do <laughs> you think I am? Don't pan <laughs> down.
0: <laughs>
1: all right, brother. Thank hi. you.
0: Thank it's you so much for joining. Yeah. Say
1: hi-, Say hi to everybody near you for me. Will do. Okay. Really
0: we'll do. If Let you me know when you're in your town. All right. See you guys. Thanks.
1: Yeah.